0: Very good morning. So good to see you all this morning. Uh, My name's Brad and I'm the minister here. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, here we are in week three of our series called The Air We Breathe. Uh, Like a fish doesn't recognise the water that it swims in, we aren't easily able to put our finger on the, the culture that we live in, the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe. This series is looking at, uh, through the Bible, at our culture and identifying the enormous impact that Jesus has had and continues to have on the world we live in. We can think that the values of equality, compassion, consent and all the ones we're looking at uh, are universal values that represent the best of humanity, that they are logical and self-evident, we can think that uh, there's, there are small pockets of history and individual exceptions in our time when certain people in power have become corrupt and have violated these natural self-evident values. But we only think that way because the seeds that Jesus planted, the change that he brought to our world, has spread so far and so wide and so deep that it's become normal for our society. If we really step back in history before the influence of Jesus and look at cultures around the world where the influence of Jesus is yet to really penetrate, then we'll see that equality, compassion, consent, and all of the values we're looking at are not actually self-evident to humans at all. Not until Jesus makes it so. It can be such a huge shift to try and step out of our modern Western world view, to look at its alternatives and where it's come from, uh, that some may find it a bit confusing. And if that's the case, I'd encourage you to engage with this material more through attending a connect group. Um, There's a sign-up, I mean, there's a board that tells you when they all are out there. And you could even buy this book, uh, The Air We Breathe, by Glenn Scrivener. Um, It goes into a lot more detail than we're able to cover here. So today we're focusing on consent. This is uh, a difficult sermon, and I'll be as sensitive as I can be while we get into a topic that we don't often talk about. And I just want to flag that to do the topic of consent justice, um, this sermon ought to be rated R but for the sake of everyone here, I'm keeping it G-rated. But please do be aware that the places and times that are not influenced by Jesus are actually a lot worse than I'm able to explain. And we know this from the evidence of many historians and anthropologists. I also want to preface this message with the fact that it is a confronting topic. And one that affects many more people than we've realised. You may have been impacted by abuse, uh, physical, sexual or otherwise. And so if you'd like to have a conversation with me afterwards or with a trusted friend, then I encourage you to do so. Now, as I begin, I want to draw your attention to your breath, to the air that you're breathing. Take a breath in. Now, do you know what is in that air? Well, yes, your your science class taught you that it's roughly 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen, and there's a bit of water vapour and argon and carbon dioxide and other trace gases. But in truth, that single breath that you took in there will never be able to measure exactly what was in it, where these gases have been, where they've come from, what trace elements or particles are floating in that air. I mentioned in our weekly e news this week that the secular historian, Tom Holland, likened the impact of Jesus to the Chernobyl nuclear meltdown disaster. This is a very negative illustration, but it makes the point well. When the Chernobyl nuclear reactor split and nuclear materials gushed out, forming a a radioactive cloud, uh, the people who were in its immediate proximity could see the effect as they were quickly impacted by the radiation. The people who were a little further out had some idea that something had happened and that it may impact them over the coming weeks. But people in the next towns and cities (coughs) and countries had no idea. The air that they breathed was contaminated with these radioactive particles, but they didn't know it. Christianity has had an immense impact on the air we breathe, the culture that surrounds us and that we take for granted. Whether people in Australia are Christians or not, they've inherited a belief that all people are equal. And that is part of our Christian heritage. Non-Western nations have their own cultures and rationalities for their values, but in the Western world... Secular historians like Tom Holland claim that our culture is so deeply influenced by Christianity that our gut instincts are shaped by Christianity. I want you to hear this. A non-Christian historian, Tom Holland, wrote a 600-page book looking at the historically unique, strange, radical values that have transformed the Western world. And he attributed the change to Jesus and to the Christian movement. I enjoyed some Paul Jennings stories when I was younger, and one sprang to mind this week. He, he wrote a short story in '95 called Yes is No. Now, the premise is that a strange scientist guy performs a cruel 14-year experiment on his daughter. He actually brought her up, um, sequestered off from everyone else, he never let her interact with any other person in the world except himself. And in this experiment, he labelled everything topsy-turvy, upside down, back to front. So, yes means no, and no means yes, up is down, and down is up, and sugar is salt, and salt is sugar, etc., etc. In this story, Paul Jennings, the author, imagined the world of this character being so shaped by her cruel scientist father that her every natural impulse was shaped differently. And that's what Glenn Scrivener, who is a Christian, and Tom Holland, an agnostic, are saying about Christianity. Our nation and the Western world are so shaped by Jesus and the Jesus revolution that our every impulse is different. Like a Chernobyl leak of of love, equality, compassion and goodness, the Christian movement has transformed the world in life-giving, beautiful ways. So today, if people in Australia are outraged at uh, sexual abuse, then the outrage we feel is a very Christian outrage. And that goes for Christians here in the church... And for the secular atheist who lives next door. Our disgust at those who abuse is founded on the Christian values of everyone being made in the image of God. Of everyone deserving equal dignity, love and compassion. Without Christianity, there would likely be no outrage at all. When you look at the cultures of the, the Roman and the Greek world that surrounded Christianity, the fundamental change that Jesus brought is as different as yes is to no, as up is to down, and darkness is to light. In 2017, there was a, a Me Too movement, um, and this, this movement tried to bring our culture back to the values that Jesus gave us. The Me Too movement was women trying to take us back to a Christian sexual morality. It was trying to emphasize that women have rights around the use of their bodies. It was calling out sexual harassment and sexual assault where men in positions of power had abused women and children. The Me Too movement was not a consciously Christian movement but it was a movement that actually valued what Jesus values. Another example, the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse is a fruit of the Jesus Revolution. Before Jesus' influence, there wasn't a category for child abuse. The Romans called it pederasty, the love of children. Christians were appalled at this practice and began to call it, part of thoros, the destruction of children. What the ancient world called the love of children, Christians called the abuse of children. Now the church and Christians have not always shown integrity in this area. There have been terrible abuses performed at the hands of church leaders and in the church context that have not been dealt with well. There have been cover-ups where those who have committed abuse have been shifted to a new place with nothing more than a slap on the wrist and they've subsequently abused more people. Now, these are horrific crimes and people in those positions need to be held to account. But what I'm saying today is that because of Jesus, we all believe that children being touched inappropriately is not Okay. It's because of Jesus that our culture has a conscience that says it's not okay to abuse women and children, to satiate a man's sexual appetites. It is because of Jesus that the church and other institutions are being held to account now for abuses and crimes done, the powerful against the weak. In ancient times, women, children and slaves didn't have rights. They were treated as possessions of their male masters. And the men were free to do what they wanted with their possessions. And this included whatever they wanted to do with their bodies in whatever way they wanted to do it. Writing in the ancient world, Plato wrote that women were inferior to men in every way, intellectually, physically, and emotionally, and should be treated as such. Women were usually married off very young while in their mid-teens to older men and they had little choice in who they married. They had no rights in the marriage and they were expected to produce sons. Women could be divorced easily, leaving them powerless and lacking the means to provide for themselves. A woman's testimony didn't count in court. She had to bring a male to represent her. In the book, When Children Became People, When Children Became People, the author quotes Plato and he writes how he frequently grouped together uh, children with other marginal figures in classical society, the women, the slaves and the animals. So how did we come from women, children, slaves and animals being possessions of men without rights of their own to today? Today? when we all agree that using and abusing people with less power than us is not okay? Well, the short answer is Jesus. Jesus called the powerful to account. Jesus called men to account. When the Pharisees came to test Jesus, asking if a man can divorce his wife for any and every reason, Jesus had a lot to say. He took them back to the beginning. In Genesis, God made people male and female, and the two sexes can be one flesh united. People who do marry are united in a deep way. The one flesh union is both a union of bodies in bed and a union of lives in marriage. And Jesus talked about this union as something that God does. What God has joined together Let no one separate. This put great significance on what we do with our bodies and with our lives. If someone marries, they are united in married life, in sex and in some spiritual way. And therefore there's no such thing as casual sex. When we are united with someone, it's like two vines growing side by side, and they become entangled. The branches and the tendrils, the roots and the stalks, not together, around one another. And if we then go and be united with someone else, there's this painful separating as those branches, those roots, those tendrils, bits and pieces are sort of broken off and we're left in a painful mess. Jesus' teaching put a huge emphasis on the men of the time becoming monogamous, faithful in marriage, and celibate in singleness. To a culture where men did as they pleased, this was a high calling. Jesus took the one flesh union which had been dragged through the gutter by people throughout history, including leaders of the Jewish people like David and Solomon, And he showed that God's original intention was for our good. Celibate single people and faithful monogamous married people makes for a blessing for families and our community. So in short, Jesus and his early church said, men only have sexual relations with your wife, and that with her consent. If you're unmarried, then control yourself. Save that intimate part of yourself until you are married. Can you see how radical this was? From a man being free to do what he wanted, when he wanted, with whom he wanted, to being restricted to only having sex within marriage and only with consent. That is an absolute game changer. It's a cataclysmic shift. In the ancient world, the word modesty meant one thing for men and a very different thing for women. For a woman to be modest, it meant that they would not lie with a man at all, ever, until they were married. For a man to be modest was to have some level of moderation. For the price of a loaf of bread, a man could visit a woman to sleep with. A man could use a woman, a child, or a slave whenever he wanted. But if he wanted to show some self-control, then his modesty uh, could, in fact, include a trip to sleep with someone at the brothel. Jesus' perspective continued through the New Testament. And so in 1 Corinthians, intimacy in marriage is encouraged. Paul encourages faithfulness in marriage. Chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. And then in verse 4, he gives a shocking one-two punch. The first jab lulls people into a sense of security and then is followed by a knockout hit. He says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. That's pretty much par for the course at the time, except that it looks like she's yielding her body to her husband willingly. Then the big hit. He says, likewise, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. That is revolutionary teaching. Glenn Scrivener says, the married couple are to belong to one another as equals, and it's hard for us to appreciate how stunning that was. Today, we take such mutual consent and commitment for granted. But we take it for granted now because it was radical then. With teaching like this, teaching that dignifies women and children, giving them a voice, an equal place in the community and other protection and support, the Jesus revolution changed the air that we breathe. So much so that... The historian Rodney Stark asked the question, why didn't every woman who heard about Christianity become a Christian at that time? Now I want to outline the impact of this message in four parts. uh, The world, men, women and children. The Jesus Revolution has made a radical difference for women in the Western world. Following Jesus, the early church gave women the opportunity to participate in ministry, to have a sense of significance far ahead of the culture in which they lived. But the work is not yet complete. There have been moves in many areas to recognise the rights of women. However, sex slavery and trafficking of women globally is an enormous challenge. They estimate that over 40 million people are enslaved today, and around 5 million of these are women trapped in sex slavery. In Australia, women are often objectified in advertising and media, putting pressure on women to live up to impossible images. The cosmetic surgery industry is a multi-billion-dollar industry built on women seeking to fulfil unrealistic expectations of men and of our community. The impact of pornography on women directly is shocking, and secondarily, through the expectations of men about their intimate relationships, undermines women's dignity and rights. Domestic violence is far too prevalent in Australia, with, at the extreme end of it, Women dying at the hands of their partners or ex-partners weekly. And so men, we need to be careful how we look at and how we treat women. In a culture that celebrates the freedom and opportunity of women, we are also a culture that continually objectifies women and judges them on how they look rather than who they are. And this is true across media and entertainment industries. And it's also seeped into part of the culture, part of the air that we breathe. So much so that we fail to notice the influence that it has on us and our attitudes. So instead we must let God shape our attitudes. Women, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made in the image of God, your creator. And Jesus lifted your place and gave dignity to you. So don't let the world box you in. Based on your appearance, you are not just a sexual object. Christ has given you the freedom to live life, being the person you've been created to be. And so live in that freedom. And children, you too are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made in the image of God. And Jesus lifted your place and gave dignity to you. God holds you in special regard. He says that you have an important voice to be heard and that you ought to be guided and protected by those with more power than you. And so if there's someone that you feel unsafe around, then please do talk to someone about it. Talk to your parents, talk to a teacher or talk to me. So let me lead us in prayer. Loving Father, you understand us better than we understand ourselves. Please continue bringing your word and your will to bear on us and on our culture. Lead us, Lord, to repent of our sinful attitudes and turn away from them. We look to you and your gracious wisdom to shape our views and attitudes. When we fail, Lord, help us to accept your grace and your forgiveness and by your spirit enable us to live in Jesus' radical ways. Help us to do our bit, working against slavery, against objectification of women and domestic violence. May we see all people as your precious children made in your image with great dignity and worth.